0: Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day, everyone. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Edge podcast. And today we have as our guest, David Mount, who's a partner at the VC firm G2VP. And we're going to dive into uh, some of his thoughts around connected industry and his background and uh, his, his views of the market in the future. Uh, David, it's great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Ed. Uh, great to be on, and I appreciate you uh, having me join the podcast.
0: Fantastic. So, first, I'd love to get a sense of your your history, and really, what's you know what what in your experiences have have really shaped your view of of connected industry or, or IoT.
1: Great, thanks. So, I've been working in the connected industry or, or IoT sector for the best part of ten years now. Um, I got started as an investor at the venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins. Um, when I started, which was uh, July of 2008, uh, the smart, the topic of the smart grid, um, was was in vogue and we wanted to look around at which companies were going to bring connectivity to the grid, connectivity to to metering and, and power, uh, the, the power industry particularly. So got to know um a whole host of competitors in that space uh and and that ended up with an investment in, in Silver Spring networks. Uh, which eventually went public and eventually got sold on to Itron and, and remains a part of uh, of Itron's solution package today. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of this journey around uh, the connection between uh, new communications devices combined with processing, combined with some industry-specific solution that that relates to this this whole notion of connected industry that. Um, That i've been excited about ever since (laughs) for for whatever reason that experience lit a fire and uh it led to to uh subsequent work with companies like osi soft which is a a data infrastructure for for time series data and other data that's used in connected industry uh opower which was a a residential energy efficiency program that was that was sold to, to utilities and eventually became a part of oracle um, Element Analytics, which is a business that I actually co-founded with Samir Kalwani around collecting and cleaning up data sets that were going to be used in, in large IoT analytics projects. Um, eventually, ServiceMax, which is a, a field service software business uh, that was helping take the work that was being done by field service technicians on clipboards and put that into an iPad type of environment so that they could were sure to have the right manuals, the right safety checks and all those things as they were doing their work. And um, uh, another one is called Kespri, a drone company that's doing aerial analytics and and taking sensor data and image data to be able to uh, run reports and do diagnostics in industries like insurance. Um, A a couple of others, Telegis, which uh, I didn't work on as directly, but they did fleet telematics for large fleets around the US, Uh, were eventually bought by Verizon. And uh, and then Kleiner Perkins was involved in the investments in Nest, um, the, the connected thermostat company uh, that was also kind of formative as I as I thought about the Internet of Things. So now, um, more recently, a team of us there are, there are four of us that that's, were at Kleiner Perkins as part of that that Green Growth Fund for for about ten years, and the four of us have have started a new fund called G Two VP that is focused on companies that are applying emerging digital technology like. Connectivity um, uh, and edge processing, artificial intelligence—all of these—all of these themes that we'll talk about in this podcast generally talks about as they as they pertain to traditional industries. And so that includes energy, manufacturing, supply chain, logistics, transportation, and agriculture—the industries that make up more than half of the economy, but don't get the the as much attention from traditional venture capital. So that's that's where we're focused. That's where I've been focused um, over the last 10 years and excited about uh, continuing to, to focus on for the next several decades
0: yeah that's really interesting uh, those are a lot of very familiar companies in fact uh, recently uh, George Matthew of Kespri was a uh, was a guest on the podcast so it was really really fascinating um, I, I'd like to go back a bit to your the, the origins around smart grid because you'd mentioned uh, yep. you know, silver Spring and uh, there were a few other companies uh, that were that were competing at that time and and you know what would you is uh, as, as you look back at the initial expectations around smart grid and then some of the you know the realities of the the market and, and the challenges of, of implementation. Uh, Silver Spring is certainly one of the uh, more successful uh, players in that in that market. But there was you know, there was Converge and EnterNOC and a number of private companies. What are some of the lessons that were learned through the through the process? The initial hype and some of the uh, you know, some of the challenges of, of, of building businesses based on based on that the vision of a smart grid. Sure, um, or demand response. A lot of it is demand response there, but but that yep. had more broad.
1: Yeah, and, and it's there's there's there was demand response and and uh, distributed energy resource management, and eventually there's there's um, ancillary services and a whole host of different things that that were promised around around the smart grid. Um, a lot of lessons learned there. It started with the the, the beginnings of AMI or, or the smart grid was about. Bringing communications to meters, and and the value proposition there was pretty crystal clear. Where in the old days, 15 years ago, um, not that long ago, uh, most meters were read either by a person who went to the meter themselves, or by rolling a truck past um, an automated meter that could that could send a signal to the truck as it rolled past, in terms of how much power had been, or how much what what the bill was going to be, or what the consumption was going to have been in the last in the last month. It was pretty clear that utilities could get um, could make a compelling case to install wireless communication in those meters to be able to get reliable, reliable meter reads, consistent meter reads and, um, and install those programs. And that's what they did. There was this, then there was the promise that once those meters had gone in, Then suddenly we would want to install all sorts of other equipment, including distribution automation equipment that would allow substations, distribution level transformers and other devices on power lines to be able to communicate for optimal grid performance, optimal grid reliability and all sorts of other things. And um, frankly, while we as investors were really excited about the prospect of some of those things, they didn't didn't pencil out as well um, as some of the other use cases. Unless there was an absolutely compelling, totally bulletproof uh, case to be made for why the equipment would go out and why the equipment would go out with automation, it didn't make sense. Additionally, um, there was a lot of perception or concern that additional telemetry, potentially uh, um, additional devices out on the network could create reliability issues and lead to... um, Increased uh, interruptions and increased frequency of those interruptions on the grid, and that risk was not something that that a lot of the utilities wanted to tolerate. So, um, it turned out to be more of a go-to-market problem, I think, than it was a, a core technology problem. There, there are a lot of technologists and and um, and investors and others who got excited about an optimal grid, um, but but maybe lost lost a little bit of track of of exactly why. Um, what the compelling business proposition would be for it, and uh, and how you'd be able to get an economic return on it.
0: So, it, really, in your view, it was it was more of a uh, just a, a business execution challenge as uh, as well as a uh, you know clearly a uh, you know the, technolo- the the technological and regulatory hurdles, of course, or non not you know not. Yeah, I think it was.
1: I think a lot of it was, it was, it was a combination of all those things. It was some of the company, there, there was probably more investment in the sector than, than, there, than there should have been. There was a, a signal, um, from the market in, uh, 2010, 2011 during the TARP phase. And there was a smart grid, um, investment program that helped pull a bunch of demand in. And I think that, that market participants may have viewed that. As incorrectly viewed it as a signal that that wow okay there's suddenly going to be 500 million dollars of annual interest in buying this stuff so let's gear up and get ready for it uh, and then it turned out that that was a that, that was you know two years of demand that was getting pulled up by by some grants and incentive programs and then the market didn't and then the market didn't keep up on that growth path and so that that led to some uh, some business
0: challenges as well. So, uh, how, you know, given your experience, I mean, are there are there were there any significant events or, or people that uh, that you worked with out of those, uh, really, some of the earlier startups in your career that have had had a big impact on shaping how you, you know, how you view the industry?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think. Um some of my favorite and most formative meetings that happen are from groups who are who are customers for these connected industry technologies. So while at Kleiner and, and now while at g 2 V P, one of the things that we focus on is, is building relationships with big industrial companies. And those can be big industrial OEMs like ABB or GE or Honeywell, uh, or they may also be relationships with, with big industrial companies. Um, buyers like, uh, you know, the, the, the large power companies, the large manufacturers, uh, the pulp and paper manufacturers, the, the food companies. Um, and what we will often do is they'll have, they'll send uh, delegations uh, that are interested in, in learning more about Silicon Valley technology. And I love those meetings because uh, I always ask, what what's holding you back from buying more connected equipment or what what are you looking for in, uh, in a, an IoT-based product or, or service? <laughs> and, uh, it's always a good reality check for, for maybe how my enthusiasm or investor enthusiasm can be a little bit ahead of the reality of, of the buyer in the market. Um, I would say one of the lessons learned from the smart grid work was that we realized the importance, and it underscored the importance of really knowing the customer's perspective before you make investments and uh, and that the perspective of a Silicon Valley venture capitalists can be very different uh, than the perspective of the end customer for this industrial tech. And so what we really like to do is get to know get to know the industrial customer base. And there was a there was one meeting in particular where we had a fortune a fortune thirty company come in. And, uh, you know, we start the meeting off and I say, OK, here, you know, here's our background. Here's we love we love connectivity in sensing and, and storage and all this analytics and machine learning. And he he said he literally stopped the meeting. He said, Dave, stop. I need you. We, we we've been on this trip through the Silicon Valley, meeting with five or six companies that are all saying the same buzzwords. And I need someone just to show me the chessboard. And it was that quotation, show me the chessboard, that gave me a lot of, um, a very good perspective. It led to an hour-long conversation where we talked through, if five or 10 years from now, I want to be a smart, connected company, what, exa- what is that going to look like five or 10 years from now? And then what do I need to do between here and there? um to go get it and it gave me a real appreciation for that long-term thinking long-term perspective that a lot of these customers have and whereas uh folks in silicon valley can maybe have a short-term perspective or, around what are we doing this month what are we doing this quarter the customers who are buying this are thinking about these buying cycles in much with longer perspective um and and that's that's real important so that that concept of show me the chessboard is something that that we now think about for for customers that we're engaging with and that and the the startups that i work with we think about that concept of show me the chessboard where when you go in and talk with a customer you can't just be talking to them about what what you might have you need to really understand their entire landscape and help them think through not only the move that they're making now but the move that's that's three four or five steps ahead so that that's one um a second a second one is uh is the the founder the, the founder of, of osisoft pat kennedy um, is a terrific entrepreneur who's been in this segment for 30-plus for years and, and sees things, um, has been providing solutions for, for tens of thousands of customers and tens of thousands of installations of connected manufacturing and connected energy data um, the whole time. And one of, one of his uh, lessons was, you know, never focus on doing the work to show users their data, and once you get them their data, they will know how best to use it. So uh, another one of the another one of the things that we think about is is sh- trying to enable the companies that we work with, trying to enable the industry participants rather than trying to uh, than, than ever showing up and pretending like or 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 thinking like you can do, you know, their industry better than they do. Uh, that's another that's another important point. Um, maybe a third from from the founding days of Element Analytics a, a few years ago, uh, working with working with Samir Kalwani. For, for Samir, it was always important. He he thinks like a like a true entrepreneur who just wanted to get in and say, no, knowing that there are a lot more platitudes than there than at the, at the time at least a lot more platitudes than there was real work getting done. Samir was always very focused on well, let's go in and let's just start. Getting some work done, and we'll figure out where we can automate process, where we can build, where we can build something that's scalable and replicable as we go. Um, but that was another one. Uh, rather than rather than study the IoT, why don't we just get in and start doing work, and um, and then we'll figure out where the bottlenecks are, where the challenges are, as we go.
0: Now, that's great. Uh, what one of the interesting uh, points that you just made was that the. Um, The uh, time horizon for investing, uh, or actually the time horizon of your of your customers, was much uh, had had a really I guess a much longer duration than their perception of uh, venture capital, but compared to for instance public company investors the you know the time horizon for investing is is actually much you know much longer i mean you guys have to you make an investment you have to be able to anticipate you know, three, five, seven years out, um, I'd be interested to get your perspective in you know, working at, at Kleiner Perkins, which has made investments in all sorts of sectors, but is really well known for its its successes in, in information technology and internet. You know, how how is the how do, does the view of investing in industrial related technologies relate or contrast? To, you know some of the principles related to investing in traditional software and internet and 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 some of the some of the areas that are considered more of the the VC wheelhouse for Silicon Valley Sure um, well maybe I'll, I'll start
1: by saying that that we are now we're now at g2vP which is separate and distinct from Kleiner so I will um, I can I can share some of those thoughts about how thinking has evolved around investing in industrial tech. Versus investing in in IT from the days of Kleiner, but but they they are separate. And Kleiner is now really largely focused back on that um, IT um, enterprise technology uh, investing, and in, and our team that had been focused on more of this industrial tech has has um, split off to do this um, out of a separate fund. But um, so the. I, Five or seven years ago, I might have started that answer by saying, "Well, okay, let me explain to you the traditional rules of of, of venture investing: things like um, use limited capital to mitigate as like to ruthlessly mitigate risk, and find technologies that have high margins so that they can scale with with low capital intensity, so that they can scale really fast. Find exceptional teams that are able to." Um, take no and not, not take no for an answer or disregard when people say no to them and find ways to just make their industries work. Those are kind of traditional venture capital rules. Um, again, five years ago, I might have then tried to posit that there were different rules for investing in in industrial tech, but I think that's wrong. Uh, and so I would say the basic rules of venture Apply both in traditional IT investing as well as industrial tech investing, and to the extent that we tried to bend those rules or thought that the rules for investing in industrial tech were different, we, were, we got it wrong. <laughs> um, so as, as we look at new investments today um, in companies that are, that are serving the industrial sector or that are serving manufacturing, logistics, supply chain, agriculture, etc., we're looking for those same characteristics around management teams that don't take no for an answer, around ruthlessly ruthlessly mitigating risk with as limited capital as possible. Um, and and all of those rules, because the industrial industrial companies or, or companies that are facing the industrial market have to still have to scale, still have to find ways to grow, um still have to find ways to grow with margin. They have a different type of customer base. I think that that we may focus a little bit more on the go-to-market. We focus more on finding industrial partners to work with our startups sooner, um, so that so that they can you know provide feedback on products, so that they can provide potential channels to market, so that they can provide uh, potential customer relationships. Um, but but. All the rules that that I'd say I learned from from the investing basic planer continue to apply um, in industrial investing, and and again, kind of historically, to the extent that we that we thought that they didn't, um, we generally got it wrong.
0: Huh. Well, and another question is the. Yeah, the existence of, of you know technology hurdles or challenges that uh, that you look for investments to be able to or you know potential potential investments to, to be able to overcome yeah, when you're when you're looking at industrial technologies and you know are there you know are are there any uh, unique uh, aspects or capabilities of uh, startups that are focused on industrial problems that 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 you look for that you think are really critical. For, uh, for differentiation.
1: Um, we're looking for in industrial tech teams, one of the important things is that they really have a clear view of the, the problem that they're solving. Um, so they need to to know exactly what the customer's problem is and ideally be able to speak with the voice of a customer as to why what they're working on is going to is going to save time, Money, effort, and and make make the buyer a hero. Um, one of those traditional venture capital adages is that only desperate people buy from startups, and that's an, it's, that's one that's that's um, been <laughs> been baked into my mind. So that's only desperate people buy from startups, and that's not only desperate customers buy from startups. That's that's people. So as a as someone who's selling into the the industrial world, you have to find your customer, your champion. And that champion has generally has the opportunity to buy from a startup or to buy from IBM or to buy from Microsoft or to buy from a company that, that they have had a, a trusted vendor relationship for a long time. So you need to be as a startup, you need to be able to go in and offer them something that that those incumbents can't. Uh, and generally, they've they've tried and failed on something before. Um, so you, the, the, the best companies in the industrial market have a very, very clear view of that problem that they're solving. Because if they don't, even if they have an exceptional technology team, um, they can flounder around for, for a long time, maybe too long uh, before, before they get to that product market fit. So um, the, the, it's, I guess it's less of a technology hurdle or enabler there. It's more of a market and, um, and customer awareness point. But, but that's that's something that we found to be very, very important in the industrial tech companies that we work with.
0: Yeah, I'd love to get your take on the, uh, what, I guess what we talk about a, a bit as a disconnect or, or uh, let's see, oh, oh, overly ambitious or enthusiastic uh, expectations around industrial IoT, starting around 2013, 2014, when we had mm-hmm. you know, some of the large companies that were uh, throwing out some very aggressive forecasts of you know, the number of connected devices and uh, economic value add and and of course the reality was much has been much more deliberate than some of the expectations for an inflection but uh, you know what what is your perception of, of how the dynamics in the industry have played out relative to some of the more aggressive initial expectations
1: sure so i think it's um on balance some of the, the rollout is happening uh I would say the transportation industry has exceeded expectations and the manufacturing and kind of classic process industry have probably lagged expectations. And on balance, maybe things, uh, maybe the market is moving, but it's it moved in in unexpected places. 2013, 2014, I, I would have expected that by now there would have been much more mature offerings coming out of, of a handful of startups that uh, that were much that were bigger than they are now, as well as um, kind of more mature industrial offerings coming out of the big uh, the big cloud vendors, um, and they are working on them. Uh, but but they're still, as I see it, they're still in the phase where they're looking for champion use cases more than they are just simply selling s- selling these programs on to to industrials. Um, so the, the the manufacturing side and uh, process industry side, I think, has lagged because in all the hype of 2013 and 2014, uh, that that era, a bunch of vendors viewed the, the IoT as kind of the next great frontier for selling selling compute and selling consulting services and selling hundred million dollar projects uh, instead of selling ERP and and frankly, I think that that turned the potential buyers off a bit. Um, there's already a challenge in this market around who is your buyer and the, the, the way that the distinction is made. And, and you've talked about this and, and others certainly have around IT versus OT. Um, is it the IT team that, that, that is used to buying all the databases and all the hardware or is it the operations team that's used to running the plant that's going to be responsible for buying this technology? And that's a, that's a serious distinction, and it and, and it's a, it creates some infighting. And when you start getting getting organizations thinking and talking about their new quote unquote platform, um, it it makes the market nervous, or I think it makes potential buyers nervous because they weren't sure exactly how they were going to be able to wade in to IoT solutions and start getting quick wins. So I think the uh, the market kind of never really took off because the the perceived cost of adopting IoT was really high. And um, there was a lot of enthusiasm from some of the largest um, technology vendors in the world around helping big companies deploy these solutions, and they all seemed like they were going to be big, clunky solutions, and so it didn't really happen. Additionally, I think there was a specific challenge around data data quality, and the, the, the idea, again, three or four years ago, was just take all of the IoT data that you have, dump it into a data lake, and then we'll figure out what we're going to do with it later. Um, and And that architecture for a for an IoT project um, didn't really work. There's 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 too much data from different systems. It's really hard to line up. It's really hard to then go from that uh, into a some sort of analytic that immediately delivers business value. There probably wasn't enough time spent up front on what is the business value that we're trying to deliver here, and and more time spent on. On architectures and and getting data moving um before the the real reasons for the projects w- were set out so that's on the manufacturing side now on the transportation side i would say the um th- that market has actually moved and uh you know that that may have been because of regulation there was a, the the eld mandate that came into place or the electronic logging devices mandate came into place where. Large trucks were now required to have telemetry in them or, or at least to have a, a data logger in them that that tracked the amount of hours that a, that a driver was driving and making sure that they were taking the appropriate breaks, not driving while tired and, and other things. And that created a whole new market where there's this new set of data available. Now we can do things like optimizing routes, optimizing um teams for for uh, uh, on various lanes and doing all sorts of work around fuel consumption, um, you know all sorts of things that's uh, that telematics companies are able to do. So I think the telematics market has moved very quickly. Verizon Verizon made a couple of, of acquisitions in that space and then um, built it out. Samsara has done really well I think in that in that segment mm-hmm. also. Um, so there is movement happening. I guess I'd just say that the the manufacturing The the kind of manufacturing process industry universe hadn't moved as fast as as many would have projected three four years ago.
0: Are there some common threads across the uh, the 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 the, either the companies or the industries that that seem to be moving more quickly? Whether it be a uh, whether it be technology culture or or leadership. Yeah.
1: I think that I think that generally the companies that are that are moving on this stuff fast enough have embraced have embraced the concept that uh, that every company is a software company that Satya Nadella is, is very good about about continuing to kind of um, uh, mention you know that, that this concept that if you are ma- if you're making a hardware device think of yourself not only as a hardware manufacturer but also a hardware and and monitoring or hardware and, and eventually connected services. Or if you're thinking of of yourself as as a power company or an oil and gas company, that that the data on your production is a valuable resource. Um, the, and, and thinking about that from the top down, I think, I think has been important. I think about a couple of companies that are that are doing that well. One of which is um, on the OEM side is, is Flowserve, a, a public business um, that is that makes Pumps and valves, uh, and it, five plus years ago, decided that they were they were going to make smarter, connected. Pumps and valves, so that they could provide not only the hardware but also the the awareness of what was going what was going through their systems to be able to, to be more of a value added vendor. They experimented with PTC, and they do work with PTC. They've, they've done experiments and work with with um, HP. They publish that work. They share it. It's it's become a part of their identity as a business, and that's something that I think um, has led to some of their success. Um, Another VP uh, in in the oil patch is is doing some of the same work, and I think that they're doing experimentation. They they're committed to to figuring out how to create business value from from the data coming off of their assets, and they're and they're beginning to talk more about that over time as well. And so I think that I think that that the the oil and gas industry does seem to be leaning forward um, on using on using data and beginning to talk about it. I think that. Um, Manufacturers are, are beginning to do the same. Um, some of the industrial OEMs are viewing uh, viewing data as as a potential asset or something that's going to help them generate more revenue. Um, and and those are the types of companies that are leading.
0: Are there are there any? Technology uh, forces or uh, enablers that you think may have uh, a, a lot greater impact on uh, on potential adoption and, and business value creation than uh, than maybe appreciated or or, or any technologies that you're looking at that you you feel have uh, ex- a lot of promise. Sure. Um-
1: the, the, the table stakes technologies now that I think we would have talked about three four years ago are around the, the cheap communications, the edge processing, and, um, and cheap compute that have, that have happened. And that's, those, those are table stakes, and that's what I was probably most excited about a few years ago. Today, what I think is going to lead to acceleration of adoption or surprisingly powerful or surprisingly valuable use cases, are some of the work that's happening in, in open-source machine learning, um, as well as automation and some vision applications. So the uh, the gains that have been made in, in open-source machine learning and in some of the, the vision libraries and in some of the, the automation work that's happening, uh, it's moving really fast. So uh, jokingly, we talk with uh, with computer vision experts um, or, or automation experts, and... You'll say, "Hey, we haven't caught up in in uh, in three months. You know, how are things going? What's new?" And they'll sort sort of say, "Everything's new. It's been three months." Uh, so, the the open source libraries for for um, doing things like failure detection, or if it's not failure detection, it's looking at images and being able to recognize things in those images, or uh, being able to do processing on a phone as opposed to a supercomputer or a an nvidia graphics processor um the advances in those in in those capabilities are moving very very fast so every three six months you get surprising results from people who are who are talking who are using some of those um, most advanced um compute paradigms and libraries and that's that's really fun um, the second one i think is is uh controls and automation. So one thing that we haven't really talked about here is, is kind of where where we see what's the solution. Uh, I feel like this this uh, this discussion has been more about the, the challenges of the last few years more than looking forward to, to how and why um, greater adoption is going to happen down the road. And I think that one of the keys to unlocking that that future value is again knowing exactly what your use case is knowing exactly how you're going to create value and then doing it so and i and i believe that's going to come with with controls so the the typical iot installation or at least a typical iot concept 5 years ago was let's go put let's go put data out into the let's go put sensors out into the field or let's collect data coming off of sensors that we are that we already have let's organize them properly Let's then, then connect them into some analytics and figure out when a device might fail or figure out how we might be able to optimize this system. That's, that's great, but typically that also then adds data to, to operators who may already be overwhelmed by the amount of data that they're looking at. I think that the next step, once all of that work is done, is to say, We're going to take what we know about what's going on on these assets, and we are going to begin to optimize the performance of these assets using automation or using the the machine learning and control algorithms that that are being developed with the help of that data. Um, And once that happens, and there are a few companies that are doing that now, um, I think that is when the real value of of the IoT is going to be unlocked. one, maybe one of the points that I that I didn't underscore earlier as to why some of these products have had challenges is I think that that the teams that are working on deploying this stuff are really strapped, and uh, they don't have a lot of time to be experimenting on new tech. And I think if if vendors are able to go to the, these customers and say, "Tell me your problem, I will I will solve it, and then I can deploy the solution and kind of continuously make sure that those problems don't show up." I think that, that will be a big um, win. And that is what I think is going to be coming of the future of delivering value uh, around IoT-based solutions.
0: So you mentioned the, uh, the really the a lot of the open source uh, machine learning I guess things like TensorFlow and and a number of other tools and and, and R that are out there. Um, you know, as you look at, at potential applications, I mean, what you know, what are you uh, what 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 are you excited about? What what do you think the potential can be when we start to see? Sort of full application, full you know, full realization of, of, of some of the potential. As you mentioned, I know it's evolving really quickly. But as, as you think about you know where where we are today with with some of the solutions and companies that you're working with, and, and where we could could go, what uh, what gets you most excited? Sure,
1: um, maybe I'll, I'll give I'll give a couple of examples. One is uh, a company called Olea Edge. It does work in water. Um, what they do is they have a camera that they, they're, they're working with Google on some of this stuff. They have a camera that they can set up to look at readings from various types of meters. And they've been able to train algorithms that can look at those images to determine what is going on on a water meter that currently does not have connectivity or that is buried or that, that, um, that has never uh, been put onto a water distribution network before. And they can tell whether those meters are working or not and help you help those water utilities do um, better planning uh, better better investment allocation and also better revenue collection that is a that is the the type of business that that is now cost effective for the vendor and valuable for the utility in ways that it never has been before um, that came in uh, a couple of months ago that is one of those where it that, that solution makes a ton of sense, and it's doing stuff that that was not possible two years ago, based on based on where technology was. Um, another is a business called Kelvin, um, which is a, a startup business that is that is doing some work in um, in distributed equipment monitoring and some controls, where they are helping um, coordinate. Coordinate systems of uh, gathering assets or other assets in oil and gas um, to be able to get tens of percentage points of efficiency improvements while reducing uh, um, emissions and other you know kind of unwanted unwanted um, work stoppages by using some of these coordinated controls, some of these some of these capabilities like a like a TensorFlow has or other things, and so both of those are examples of businesses where. There's a clear value proposition. Um, there, there's new technology that's that's being used, and and um, you know a a problem that's being solved in a way that that wouldn't have been possible three or five years ago. And that's the type of stuff that um, that we're pretty excited about.
0: Any thoughts on uh, on the application of blockchain? I think um,
1: w- w- we think about that, um, and and typically as we're thinking about blockchain. The question is why does it have to be blockchain um, to make to make the, the solution work does it, does it have to be um, why, why couldn't it work in a database uh, a secure database an encrypted database um, And so that, that's kind of the general filter that we use to think about blockchain but I, I do think that there are a couple of potential um, potential use cases where blockchain may may be very helpful or, or in fact required. Related to potentially supply chain and chain of custody around supply chain as as goods are transferred between parties, um, power settlements uh, in in the power market in particular uh, to do with renewable energy or renewable energy credits as those become more and more um, important as led by some some technology companies that wants to buy lots and lots of renewable electricity um, and potentially things related to the ServiceMax ecosystem where you have service records on assets and maybe you want to transfer service records between owners of of those industrial assets that's a place where, where blockchain could be relevant um but but we have not yet seen um companies that that are that are commercial or are doing a lot of commercial work mm-hmm. yet uh, yeah. we're keeping our eyes out but haven't seen that yet
0: so what uh you know what are you optimistic about? I mean how do you see yeah, the markets that you focus on evolving over the next uh over the next five to ten years
1: sure i'm I'm optimistic about a lot of things <laughs> um, I guess I would say my general my general view is is to be optimistic and and I can kind of be a true believer in these markets which is which is dangerous uh in some ways uh, but but it 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 is true it's just the reality so um over the next five or ten years, um, I see a, a great proliferation of a lot of these underlying technologies. I think that we are going to see OEMs building OEMs that build equipment that is that is worth more than five thousand dollars a unit will will incorporate IoT solutions into their solutions by default. And they that that, that will that will mean that there are subscription types of offerings or service types of offerings or consumables monitoring types of offerings that go into every piece of equipment that goes out. It may or may not be turned on all the time, but the option for a customer to buy to buy those products as a subscription or to have monitoring as a subscription will become table stakes, I believe. Um, I also believe that there will be uh, more data moving from Existing systems, existing brownfield systems today, up into the cloud for more sophisticated analysis. As more data goes into the cloud, I think that there are going to be some great opportunities for for combining data sets between systems. So, uh, for these bigger projects, you want to be able to take data from the sensors and then combine it with data from the maintenance records, combine it with data from the ERP transaction log system, combine it with um, the with, with a whole host of other. Um, of other systems, and I think more of that combina- those combinations will happen, and there will be value uh, that accrues from from doing that. And and I also think that that there will be kind of this ongoing platform battle um, that that will continue. I think that I think that there are some big companies that are committed to this market that I, I don't expect will go away because I think that the market will will continue to grow and mature. And you know, that's companies like Microsoft and Google and Amazon and IBM. Um, as well as companies like Accenture and and some of the other um, systems integrators that are going to be playing a, a big part in this market and and, and helping create real um, enterprise grade you know uh, industrial enterprise grade offerings in these markets.
0: Wow. So, uh, what keeps you up at night though? And on, on the flip side, are there are there some uh, some concerns or you know obstacles that you see uh, moving forward? Yeah,
1: um, I, I want I, I want this market to move faster, and um, and that's what that's what keeps me up at night. I'm always just kind of like uh, clapping my hands, thinking, "Okay, let's move, let's move, let's move," and um, trying to keep patient about that. Um, the more time I spend with with customers for these types of products, the more I, under, I understand why uh, they are they are taking a, a metered approach to it. But at the same time, um, what I really want to see is some companies. Do well by adopting and adopting more aggressively, and I think that's going to that means that means um, companies that have revenue gains from implementing IoT. Companies that that have um, that are showing real benefit to not only the bottom line but the top line from adopting this stuff. So that's something that I that you know, that I want to see more of. Um, the other thing that keeps me up at night, I guess, is this notion of there are a few vendors who who came on strong looking for hundred million dollar projects like and and i think got some got some players in the market thinking that uh, beginning the iot journey was beginning meant that you were beginning to sign up for for a hundred million dollar project and i think that did the industry a disservice and i hope that we can kind of move past that and, and we can start to see a um a playbook that is more like you know, walk before we run, get some quick wins, test and iterate the classic venture um, style um, movement towards these IoT based solutions rather than more of a, the way that ERP is bought and sold um, movement into IoT solutions.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, so yeah, this has been uh, been super interesting. Um, i I just wanted to ask, I mean since you're since you're looking at a number of in, uh, interesting comments yeah, or co- companies and you have you've mentioned a couple earlier, I was wondering if there are any other either technologies or or notable startups that you're that you're keeping your eye on.
1: Uh, yes, uh, lots lots of those. Um, I think i I did mention a couple you know element analytics is doing is doing the work on Taking those those big jumbled data sets and making sense of them and turning them into asset models and combining them with other with other data sets It's a business that I'm very fond of as a as a founder. Um, and then uh, there another company is called uh, Kelvin. I mentioned is doing some of those controls. Alea that's doing work in in water meters and vision in security, which we didn't talk much about. A couple companies there that are that are doing great work. Um, one is called Nozomi and other is called uh, Sage that are both that are both trying to um, make sure that as more and more of these IoT devices proliferate, that that security vulnerabilities do not. And finding ways to make a redundancy of devices t- turn into a, a safety feature as opposed to a security vulnerability, mm-hmm. which I think is really important and comes up with, with with a lot of a lot of potential customers. We're not invested in any of those, but um, but but. They they seem to be doing great work. Another another one is called Particle. Um, Particle does um, is building kind of a, a kit and developer framework to help more and more devices um, hook into the IoT. They're um, similar to the way I think that Prex uh, is thinking about or was thinking about building their developer community. Particle has. Built a very clean, simple way to get data, um, or, or to, to turn a, an analog device into a, a smart connected device. And, uh, they seem to be getting a lot of traction with, with their developer community. So that's, um, another one that we're watching. And there, and there are, there are lots, um, you know, lots more, but, but those are a few that come uh-huh. to mind.
0: No, that's uh, that's super interesting and and uh, auspicious that you mentioned Zage because uh, I believe that at the time we are having our conversation, we just announced Momenta just announced uh, an investment in Zage. So that's um, yep. that's that's, <laughs> that's nice to hear that independently. So and I um, had not I had not seen that. Uh, yeah, I had not I, seen that. I li- 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 literally just hit the tape earlier today. So uh, right. and 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 finally, David, the the, the last question I also love to ask is is a a recommendation of a, of a book or a resource for the, for our listeners that you could that you might be able to share, sure. Um, a book that I've that I've read uh, and, and really liked and
1: reflected on a lot this year is Principles by Ray Dalio. Um, we, as we, as we build out our firm and think through um, think through you know working working as teams trying to trying to to grow and evolve um, principles is a terrific. Book uh, and and Ray Dollar has done a bunch of podcasting and and supplementary mm-hmm. materials that have gone with that um, that we've appreciated. And then I would also recommend. So that's that's the book and a movie that's worth watching. That's maybe a little bit more relevant here is AlphaGo, um, the book about the, um, the the Google DeepMind team that that took on creating um, a program that could beat the, the the human grandmasters in the game Go, and it is it is a terrific story and the 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 movie is on netflix and it's a great it's a great documentary movie and it also touches on a lot of these themes around um advances in machine learning advances in in parallel processing um and and the potential implications that those have on 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 automation
0: wow those are those are great recommendations I'll, i'll have to check out AlphaGo. i i've been reading principles uh kind of dipping into it all year and he's uh, yep. Ray Dalio just has, has got such, you know, such relevant wisdom. I uh, know that's a, just such a, a terrific, uh, terrific recommendation. And, and I think you're the first, you're the first podcast guest to recommend it, but it's, uh, you know, he's, he's got an incredible story. Yep.
1: He, uh, one of those, one of those adages that I really like uh, and use here is it's the simple adage to embrace reality and deal with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, as as we think about with with startups and, and, and companies and opportunities, you, you've got to always try to be clear-eyed about what is actually happening in the market and then respond to what is actually happening as opposed to what, what you think might happen, what you wish would happen, what you're nervous might happen, those types of things. Just trying to be as clear-eyed as possible about where are we right now and what is the best, most opportunistic way to, to move
0: forward from here. Absolutely. Well, well, that's it's been a it's been a great conversation. Uh, again, this is Ed McGuire, the Insights Partner here at Momenta, with another Edge Podcast with our guest David Mound, who's the partner at uh, G Two VP. And and David, thanks so much for for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights partner with Momenta Partner.